What's up, guys? It's Eric Melcher, where you are listening to my podcast, Innovators Can Laugh, where I dive into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from all over Romania and Eastern Europe. Before I forget, if you enjoy the show, please give us a review and join our newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com, where you can get a preview and show notes of every guest we have on the show. My guest today is Mirce Gerica, who has worn many hats in his career as a writer, analyst, and digital marketer. But his latest venture is cracking the future of sustainable shopping. Michea is making it possible to protect the planet while consumers shop by planting trees to offset the CO2 footprint of shopping you do online and find the best price. It's 100% free. How are you doing today? Really happy to and honored to be part of Innovators Can Laugh. Doing great. Had a wonderful weekend with my grandfather. It was his anniversary. So, yeah, pretty excited to be around here at home. Let's start off by doing an ICL round, which are quirky questions that reveal some interesting things about you. Are you ready? Excited. What song do you have completely memorized? This is very cliche, but Ozone, the Noma Noma song is basically on my mind since I heard that you cannot get rid of this. Once you hear it somewhere, you sing along. What's one of the verses? No, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Third question here. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No, my best Italian friend would uh, kill me if he ever heard me saying otherwise. But I did try at the time. I'm with you on that one. It doesn't belong on pizza. Okay. Last question for the ICL round here. Finish this blank at the very end of the sentence. Okay. Here we go. Members of Bucharest social elite are paying thousands of dollars just to experience. Chea doing. How would you fill in that blank? Acro yoga. Acro yoga. What's acro yoga? It's a mix between yoga and acrobatics where you basically, with a partner, try to do some impossible poses. I've done that over the weekend and it was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> it sounds a little difficult. Yoga is supposed to be relaxing. It seems like you got your work cut out for you. Yeah, it's definitely on the challenging side of uh, yoga. Okay, and that's A-C-R-A? Yeah. Okay, interesting. How far advanced are you a beginner? I went to a free class, so that's why I thought, hey, <laughs> that would be really cool <laughs> to have someone watching. Okay, interesting, interesting. Let's rewind a bit. Where did you grow up and what was it like? It was great. So obviously, when you're a kid, you have less to worry about. And I'm, I am I had the chance to, to grow up in this city, which is smaller. It has 100,000 inhabitants in in Romania and basically I would say I, I've studied in the same place since uh, fifth grade is this um, high school that has also classes for younger uh, students and it was the best thing ever growing up like I, I still have my childhood friends that we keep closely in touch with I work with some of them in the startup now and uh, definitely it's it was like a really good and, and healthy way of growing up. And even though it was quite hard because that was Romania after the revolution, I was the one of the lucky ones to be born <laughs> right after 1989 uh, year. And 
yeah, it was full of, of learnings and of challenges and I had my friends and I still have them with me. So that's the thing that I'm most grateful for. Okay. Interesting. And then you created a travel blog that began generating 250,000 visitors a month. How did you have so much success with the travel category? Good question, because I went through several adventures <laughs> before that, before settling on travel. Basically, those were the golden years of Google. Let's say any kid from his parents' basement could compete with big companies like uh, Expedia, for example, mm -hmm. when you would Google travel, you would be right next to them. So those <laughs> were really cool years to try to do stuff around this. and. I always had this passion for discovering more and travel seemed like a very broad subject. And I think it was also coming from my dad. He is a travel, uh, like a tour guide. And yeah, I think that's where I got the passion. And I managed to hire him in my high school, which was like a great... How was his performance review? What did you grade him? To be honest, it didn't go that well because six months later, we decided <laughs> to part ways. So... Um... <laughs> Okay. What were some strategies you used to generate traffic? With link exchanges, blog posts, and guest posting uh, on other people's blogs, I actually did have a bit of imposter syndrome, to be honest, because I was 17 or 18 years old. I've only been outside the country to Bulgaria and France once, and I was I had the blog about travel, so that was having conversations around places that I visited when I was talking with my peers from the travel blogging community. Were you writing about specific regions? We had a global approach. So when you look at the internet today, you basically have, I think, 1,000 websites that tell you what are the best things to do in New York or in Rome or how you can make your stay in a hostel more enjoyable. But back then there were only a few. So we were like, hey, okay, we can put, we can research ourselves. This looks like something that we basically put together. So it had a global approach back then. Okay. And, and what happened with the website? I still have the domain, but I think at some point it went out of hand with this because we were, I was on my own basically, but I was seeing this growth. And then at some point I became very detached to the business because it, it seemed like something that was scalable. I also went to the university, new friends, new adventures. And then basically this became like a side thing that I started to outsource more and more. And then the quality dropped quite a bit. And then when Google realized the gold mine they have and they there were empires built around this this idea so they released a, an algorithm update and then i think from one day to another it wiped out i don't know 50 70 percent of the earnings of the blog and then i don't know that demotivated me a bit <laughs> it required me to go manually through i think 10,000 articles and make sure that quality of the content increases yeah and i would rather be sisyphus and uh, pull up a rock every day than <laughs> do that that's it that's a really cool achievement uh, at that age so what was your next move after journey etc.com yeah that's pretty pretty interesting thing to recall about because then i thought hey look i can rank in the travel uh, industry i can compete with expedia and TripAdvisor. i can do anything but what i was missing was a clear direction what i've done after that was to 
spend quite a lot of money on buying lingerie shop, on starting a startup that was supposed to compete with Tinder back then with, with a friend. We were trying to fix this shallowness of dating apps by facilitating meaningful conversations. And uh, yeah, I would say those were the two highlights. I've also done quite a few other small things like trying to open up a company and that didn't really work out. Did you at that time that this is the path that I want to take? Definitely. So I would say at that point, I was thinking that, hey, look, I've managed to build this from scratch. I'm great at this and it's impossible to go and have a nine to five job. But I couldn't have been more wrong because at 22 years old, you basically think that, yeah, you're on top of the world if you basically achieve to have some, um, yeah, I don't know, getting your finances in place, so to speak. But yeah, it, it was like a tough lesson seeing how the fact that I was chasing things without a clear direction really made me hit rock bottom a year later or, or so. That was like a tough realization I, or epiphany I went through with my co-founder for the dating startup when I was, um, yeah, we were, we were discussing and we're like, okay, this is not working. One of our best friends got married thanks to our app, but it never really took off. So we thought, look, I think we're not ready for this. We have to get some normal jobs and i thought it was the end of the world basically oh my god but when you say you hit rock bottom what does that mean i didn't spend all the money but basically coming to the realization that i will need to get a nine to five job that was really the tipping point for me because i kept repeating to myself uh, look i started building websites when i was uh, 16 in the beginning it didn't work but it started working and then the idea of uh, going to an office eight hours per day seemed very far away. So when uh, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I maybe need to try this to get more experience for me. That, yeah, I, I remember that day very clearly. It was like a big shock. <laughs> uh, when I took that decision. And uh, yeah, but now looking back, it was the the best thing that ever happened to me really. Okay. You took on a number of roles, stayed within the travel industry. Was one of the roles right after that decision, was that with Mamon? No. So right after that, I, I went through a number of interviews and I was, okay, I decided to get the job, but it's going to be easy to get one. And then I went <laughs> to my first interview and completely blew it. And then I was like, I cannot even get the job. So this is even worse. <laughs> Yeah, and then my, my former geography teacher from university told me they had an opening in an online travel agency called uh, Tripstar. It was one of the biggest in uh, Europe at that time and they asked me for an interview. And then I went and then things worked out and I stayed there for, for nine months to try to adjust myself to corporate life. It was pretty tough, I would say, for, for the first nine months having the, that first job. And then I moved to, to Denmark and worked for Mamondo. How did you decide to go work for Mamondo? We were working with Mamondo. It was one of our partners at Tripsta. I was a big fan of, of the brand uh, since we were working closely with them. And one day I've seen they had this opening. It was like an internship position, but I thought, hey, it's worth applying. Let's see how it goes. And I, I applied, I was uh, invited for an interview three days later. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story because before I never took a day off in my job 
I was so scared what I'm going to tell my manager to be able to give that interview from home. So I was Googling online excuses you can tell your boss to uh, <laughs> take off. And, uh, what, what excuses did you find? <laughs> it was the lamest excuse ever. I told him that my dog is sick, which I don't know, still makes me uh, cringe. <laughs> you at least had a dog though, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and then it was the okay. That was out of the way. It was when I realized how uh, weird it sounded. Uh, anyway, it was too late to do anything. And then I I was waiting for the interview. I thought it would be a call, uh, a phone call, basically through Skype. And it was a very warm day in Bucharest. I think there were like thirty degrees plus, something like that. So I just waiting in bed, being very relaxed. I was thinking, oh, you've got this, but I was just in my short. When Dave called, I basically, I there were two people on the screen and then I froze for a few seconds because they were saying, we can't see you. So I had to jump quickly out of bed, <laughs> put a sweater on and because it was the first thing I've seen and there were 30 degrees. My table was full, so I put everything on the side, everything fell on the floor. And then I managed to give that interview with a straight face. And I was thinking, okay, if they say yes, then I have to go because it was the weirdest thing. You got a sweater on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank goodness they didn't see below your waist. That would have been a little funny. Okay. So from there, you had roles at Kayak and at Get Your Guide, other, other travel services that help users compare prices on things like tickets for hotels and cars and airplanes. What happened that sparked the idea of transforming shopping into a carbon neutral experience? Like, how did that come about, Michelle? So living in Denmark really made my horizons bigger. It made me open up to the world much more than as a person that was just pursuing uh, whatever opportunity would be out there to drive revenue. And then thinking more about diversity, about climate change. It's a big topic in, in Denmark and Sweden, especially where the concept of Fluxcam basically took off thanks to, to Greta Thunberg. I, I was more exposed to this and then I thought, okay, in my country, it's very difficult to think about this because we live in our own bubble sometimes. And even my gener I think my generation is starting to be much more aware, but my parents' generation doesn't really think about this. They say, okay, it's, it's not our problem. What's going to happen if we buy tons of plastic and throw it there? Someone will pick it up without thinking about the whole uh, chain. So the main trigger was during COVID when I was exposed to the statistics, I, I would see how much people would uh, start buying online things they don't really need. So everyone went through this period where they were exploring new hobbies during the lockdowns. Everyone was buying a guitar, a violin, weights, everything. And they would just throw them out after two, three weeks, something like that. And in Berlin, where I spent the lockdown, I could see piles and piles of boxes. You couldn't even throw your trash, basically, because it, everything was basic, was covered in, in cardboard and in this kind of things that people were throwing because they didn't really have space in the room. It was, I was living in a studio. It was a building of studio. So in a way, people were trying to clean up their place, but throwing uh, away all these things that they bought lockdown. 
Okay. And then we thought, okay, I'm familiar with this model of working with the shops where you can get a percentage if you can help them drive a sale. And why don't we use that in order to give something back and enable people to at least plant trees somewhere that matters with that revenue? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I love it. I like the fact that when a person's shopping, they have the opportunity to just maybe check a box and they know that, okay, because of this purchase, this company is going to plant some trees on my behalf and it's going to offset or the carbon footprint I'm leaving behind. So how's it going and who are you working with in terms of an NGO? We are approaching this from an idea that we wanted the global scalable solution right from the start. So instead of going and discussing with each partner in particular, we are working with a network that centralizes all the shops. That's basically how it works. And the idea is that we have almost 10,000 shops that we're in the progress of onboarding on our platform at the moment. So pretty easy. It's pretty relevant for each country because we have relevant shops, even if you are in Germany, Denmark, Romania, and, and so on. And that, that's the, the, the first part. So you're working with the network. Let's say I have a Shopify store and I hear about this and I think, hey, I would love that for my store. Like, how do I incorporate Verdue, your web app and your browser onto my website? So for Shopify specifically, we're developing an extension now. So you only have to install this extension from the store and then okay. we would be automatically integrated and you wouldn't really have to, to lift uh, a finger like more than the initial setup that takes hopefully not more than five minutes, something like that, because we want to. So Obviously, if you work with this type of network, then we also tell people that, hey, you're running a, a promotion, you can buy from Eric's shop. But we also want to have you display this value proposition on your Shopify site, right? So we want to even pay for the trees that would result from this. So assuming you're, you're selling phones, so for mm -hmm. each phone, we would pay you, in case you decide to integrate this extension, we would support the cost of planting one tree for each sale that your shop makes. As long as that customer would come to us to claim that they want to plant that tree. So that shows us that it's an interesting or an interested customer. They might engage with our brand moving forward and we will even support that cost for your shop. So. You can basically say, I'm Eric, this is my shop. I'm selling phones, but I'm offsetting the carbon footprint through Verdue. And it doesn't really cost you a thing. So that's our main plan. That's how we want to revolutionize online shopping. Okay. And are you working with an organization to plant the trees? Yes, we're working with Eden Reforestation Project. It's the biggest organization worldwide that deals with tree planting. And they do the planting in the tropical areas because that's where the deforestation problem is. Uh, it has the, the bigger urgency. However, we've also seen from our research that people want to plant trees closer to their home. So in their country, right. and we're discussing with several NGOs. So now we're in talks with several NGOs from Romania, but we are also opening up the conversation with others from, from around Europe. Mircea, why the name Verdue? Where did that come from? It's a 
strict name from French. It's my favorite language, and then it means green. So we okay. thought, okay, it has a nice sounding play to to green, which is verde. It also means something in Romanian. And then the O's at the end represent the planet. So we, we thought about and the circular economy. So that was more the, the thinking around it. Okay. And are there any websites here in Romania where a consumer shopping online can see Verdu? So we didn't release this um, approach where we pay shops to offset the footprint for like directly on their websites because it requires this one-to-one -one communication. So what we've done now is to basically centralize all the shops in, in our platform. And if okay. you want to shop with any brand that you would like in Romania, you go on our website, you can click. If we find a discount, we also automatically apply it to your shopping cart. And if you even want to bypass that process, you can install our extension. And the next time you go to any website, it only takes you two seconds to click activate and then we would plant the trees. We we want an easy way for, for Gen Z's and, and millennials to carbon footprint. Okay, so first just go to Verdu, V-E-R-D-O-O.com. And then you can either shop there or just download the application for consumers. Okay, so how do you find the sustainability scene here in Romania? So that's something that surprised me a lot when I started launching the business and we've got accepted into an accelerator here in Romania. And then in the accelerator, I found so many people interested in sustainability and that got me really excited for the local scene. I've met Maria Sass from Sustainably. I've met uh, Roxana, which has the group Michele Bucuri in Romania, the biggest sustainability group. A lot of people that are passionate about this topic here and it was an even bigger motivation to uh, keep going and uh, and continue with the startup because in the beginning you don't know if it's going to work out or not but once you have this co this community feeling to it it's a big driver i would say flexibility in the face of unknown because uh, everything broke one day before uh, with the website in the launch day, everything broke in my apartment. So uh, I maybe mentioned that I live in this old apartment. During the day of the launch, it was Earth Day. We were trying to talk with several journalists. It was even in discussion to maybe have a TV mention. And during this time, my toilet became a mess because somehow things happen in old buildings and this kind of thing explode at some point. I was trying here to say to coordinate everyone and at the same on the side, my cousin was coming and he was like, come quickly, I don't know what to do. And so yeah, beyond this crazy launch day, I, I think resilience played the biggest factor into making this happen because you can get very comfortable with your job and even if you are motivated by the mission it's always easier to just say mm, okay maybe i'm gonna work on it next weekend this weekend i'm, I'm gonna go out and do something else uh, try acro yoga or something it's good to have this <laughs> this balance and discipline when it comes to launching a startup got it if you could recommend a place to visit anywhere in the world where would that be colombia definitely it was my favorite trip if you learn uh, a bit of spanish before it can help you 
experience a culture, especially if you are from Europe, like you've never imagined, because it's all about understanding that you have a lot, even if you don't actually, even if it's not of monetary value. So I've met people there that were, had a salary of maybe 100, 200 euros per month, and they were so much happier than many people that I've met in Europe. And yeah, when I came back from that trip, it was, okay, this is, this is everything that this is about. You really have to enjoy life uh, as it is. You have to share what you have with, with others. And that was really like a groundbreaking experience for me, seeing how generous those people can be compared to how, I don't know, even some people in my, in my close family got to, to operate and to grow up. Yeah. Awesome. Michia, thanks so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Where can people learn more about you and Veridu? Just enter on our website or check out my LinkedIn profile and looking forward to talking more to, to anyone there. I'm very open. Thank you. And for everyone listening, until next week, this is Eric Melcher saying goodbye and la revedere. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to write to me, my address is innovatorscanlab at substack.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Melcher underscore Eric, on Facebook or Instagram at Innovators Can Lab. I'm Eric Melcher, and you're listening to Innovators Can Lab.